Warning! The episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Hey, guys. Here we are coming back to you. And today's a pretty exciting day. Because it is episode 25. Woo! Episode 25. Wow, time flies when you're having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) I actually was just thinking, like, right before we started recording, like, if someone could have told me a year ago where we would be right now and what we'd be doing right now... I would have like with everything in life. Everything in life. So we're not gonna really go into it, but I would definitely didn't see this year coming. No. Like literally in the beginning in January, the beginning of January twenty twenty, if you were like, You're gonna have a podcast with your mom, you're gonna have this boyfriend, you're gonna have a baby with this person, you're gonna you know, like (laughs) just anything in life. There's gonna be a pandemic. Yeah, there's gonna be a pandemic. It shuts the world down. Having this new cool studio in your mom's new house because she's gonna split up with her boyfriend (laughs) and have a different boyfriend that you didn't know she was gonna have and Yeah, it's just pretty much everything's different. And that's like obviously we're two people, but I'm sure the whole world is probably going through a lot of that so well i have met a lot of people even on the handy dart when i drive that have like had the worst like one lady i was talking to had a heart attack and like just people are having like all this crazy shit happen to them in the middle of a pandemic the lady that had the heart attack her she goes my brother said oh well at least you have to be home anyway like glass half full (laughs) yeah however yeah it's been i think all of us can relate it's been a pretty fucked up year unless you are suffering from social anxiety and it's just been a relieving year for you i honestly think that kind of everybody is struggling from social anxiety now though do you know what i mean like because for myself i know i'm quite a social person and I don't know if it's the hormones or what, but I've become kind of like a recluse. Like I've well, you're actually my kid, so yeah. So maybe this <laughs> the genetics finally, in a yeah. So we're not gonna, you know, go into too much, but we want to give some updates, just of some stuff we talked about on the last episode. So Trina, the Trina Hunt case, still nothing. So nothing at all. Yeah, we're keeping up hope, and we're sure that everyone's still out there. St- doing their due diligence and stalking Lion on, on his hikes and wherever Harrison Hot Springs or wherever he goes. Um, another thing, though, the Naomi Onatera case, the one that we mentioned last week. The lady that sorry, was missing two weeks ago. in Langley that was a teacher librarian whose husband was sketchy as fuck. Yeah, we have some weird updates on that one because pretty much about probably five days after the episode released... The police started searching her home. And digging up her yard. Yeah. And they cordoned off her whole street. And that was... On the, the 13th. 13th of September. And then they announced, like, after five days that uh, the IHIT team, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, was involved. And then they brought in the forensics team, FCERT, which specializes in uh, anthropology, basically. So pieces, little pieces of people. 
And they are still there. Yeah. After eight, nine days. But ah, they, it might even be ten days now. Yeah, but they haven't given any update. And, and weird because... There's a lot of speculation, obviously, because that's what people do, you know, and we're in groups. Because the best is the other day I said to mom, like, oh, there's a bunch of weirdos in this group. How do these people keep joining? And then I realized, like, we're, we're in the group. Yeah, we're in all <laughs> these groups, too. And I literally drive by that house, like, probably three <laughs> or four times. I think you have times. an addiction to driving by. Well, I drive by it because I work in the area and I always take that route so I can see what's going on next. Like, and it's right off the main street. So, yeah. And it's like blocked off. There is a big tent that says forensic identification unit. There's like several command station, big trucks. There's police. There's, yeah. they brought in dogs. They've had helicopters. They've had there's Everything. guys in ladders in the backyard looking up in the trees, which makes me think, like, okay, could something have been burned to kind of get rid of evidence? Maybe the ash went up or in the trees. Or it could even just be that they want somewhere to have a tarp hung from. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know, but... Speculation, see? Yeah. We're all just speculating, but it's like they they should obviously... I mean, because they don't want to ruin the investigation, they don't want to give anything away, they don't they're, want... They're keeping it all very close yeah. to their chest, but it's... But almost have... too close because then now, which obviously if I hits in, involved, you know that there's some sort of, some kind of murder homicide. or some sort of homicide has taken place. But the family, which I do understand in part, obviously they're holding out hope. They are putting up huge big signs about her still being missing, which I thought strange, but... But another thing, like, I even went deeper because I'm, uh, well, we both are two <laughs> true crime buffs, but we really, like, were thinking, like, maybe they're finding the remains of other, other people. people. Yeah. Like, maybe it was, maybe it was even a burial ground back in the yeah. early times. She it just had be purchased the home. So not very long ago, a couple years ago. Yeah, so I you think never 2019. know. So who knows what's going on there, but... Yeah, I just feel like something, I mean, they better update something. Imagine if they just leave and they're like, oh, so anyway, just like with Trina's case, like nothing to see here. Yeah. Hopefully, uh. I think there'll be a riot. Like with all the people in the group on <laughs> Facebook, like literally I think they will start to riot. I invited my friend James. Hey, James. I know you're listening. Hey, Another James. Uh, true crime buff, obviously. And I said, you need to join this group. I was kind of giving him the update. We we're talking about another case that's going on, which the Gabby Petito case, which we will also talk about. Um, but yeah, so he was like, I had to get out of that group because it was like, people are like, they have too much time on their hands. They're like, people are driving by every day. Some people. Some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, obviously the community is very, it's something to wrap your head around a woman just going missing and now they're clearly finding something there that points to a homicide. So we will keep you guys posted, obviously, as we find out, because we have no idea what's going on. So we're all on edge. I know. Like, I feel like going to plant, like, a microphone or something. <laughs> a camera. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll take my Furbo dog camera over there. You there you go. Spit out a when treat. No one's, yeah. When no one's looking and set her up. There you go. On so, a skateboard and roll it through. <laughs> there you fucking go. <laughs> MacGyver. I know. So another thing, like I just kind of touched on briefly, is I'm sure a lot of you guys know because it's been really in the media a lot, um, the Gabby Petito case. So a couple, they were YouTubers, Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito. They Young. were 
young. Yeah, 22. I know she was. I'm not sure how old he was. Probably like 25, 26. I have no idea. But they were on a cross-country, basically, trip from Florida up into, where were they, Wyoming? I don't even know other places. Colorado, but, I think. I'm not yeah. sure either. But So they were supposed to be gone for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden, he came back by himself to Florida and her family didn't hear from her for like 10 days. And he wouldn't even like address the situation. He came back in her van, first of all. Yeah, and got a lawyer and just fucked off. Yeah. And so someone that was a U- another YouTuber Fuck, thank God actually for YouTube. happened to film that location and saw where her van was and they just found her remains right where that YouTuber, YouTuber saw that van. Yeah. So that was crazy Fucking shit. I love the internet. Yeah. So, yeah, now he's missing. So obviously, I mean, I assume that he's... I don't think he killed himself because I think he's Well, too... hopefully he just went somewhere and offed himself. But he's I don't probably... think he did. I... I mean, he had three days before they realized he was missing because they found... They went to do a search of his home well, and, and his like, parents were like, oh, no. He went for a hike three he's days ago. Here. But it's like, what the fuck? If you're... if Yeah. And she was living in the house with them, you know? So yeah. there's some weird stuff surrounding that. Again, we will try to keep you guys posted as things come out. But they're giving a lot more info because it's the United States and they've had press conferences and FBI and like they even announced it that they had found who they suspected to be her remains when they didn't even have it confirmed yet. Here, they don't tell you shit. No. And they actually just confirmed yesterday, I think it was, that she did die via homicide. So she was murdered. So it's like they'll release this whole thing, but little fucking Langley, we have to sit and... Wait, we have to like drive by four times <laughs> yeah. a day. Four times a day. My favorite was like, I was almost late picking up my person because I had to drive by Naomi's house. And I was like, oh my and God. And today I saw a detective that looked just like the detective from Mindhunters get out of a car at the scene. <laughs> and that was even like more riveting. Oh, speaking but, of yeah. Mindhunter. <laughs> Good segue. Right? Segue yeah. right into that bitch. Today, we actually chose the episode that we, because we told you guys it was going to be a good one. And so... This kind of goes to the root of why people are intrigued with true crime and serial killers and the psych behind why these people do what they do, like what makes them tick. And I don't know. I know for myself, that's why I'm really intrigued by something like that, because it's like so fucking polar opposite of anything I would ever think to do that. It's like it's almost like what's the word like? addicting to be like how and why would you think that and why would you do that and why would you commit that crime but at the same time I want to hear all about it (laughs) like I don't know yeah it's strange and I don't I think like I think you're kind of born inquisitive and that's why I don't know because I was born your child so yeah but I mean I was also always inquisitive I would always make my dad follow ambulances and Mm. like I've always been intrigued by understanding things yeah, so if you have watched Mindhunter, that's basically what it does is it goes back to when the FBI first started profiling serial killers and using them to catch other serial killers. So today we are doing our episode on Ed Kemper, who is known as the co-ed killer. And Ed actually proved instrumental in helping the FBI agents understand the mentality of serial killers. And he was the one, if you have watched Mindhunter, that was portrayed as the guy they would go to talk to when they were looking for serial killers and he wouldn't shut up and they really liked him actually they actually developed a bond with him because 
Ed was kind of a likable guy for a fucking... For, yeah, for all for the a, fucked up shit he did. Yeah, like... So he, they basically use the information derived from Ed to provide profiles of other serial killers. So because uh, Johnny Douglas, who's one of the FBI agents, he basically knew that serial killers are like an untapped reservoir of knowledge and insight. Because really, who's going to know a serial killer better than a serial killer? Because you and I, like I said, we're we're intrigued. The people that listen to the podcast, well, maybe some of them are serial killers, but I don't know. But some of them... You know, you're intrigued by that because it's something that you're like, you can't wrap your head around. Well, your mind doesn't work that way. Exactly. So Robert Ressler and John Douglas used Ed to profile him because he was an open book and he wouldn't shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, he loves <laughs> to talk. So if you're interested in seeing him in person and just how normal he appears, you can look up his name on YouTube and you'll see just how normal he appears. Well, and he is the one that tells them about everything he's done, right? He There's a special called Kemper on Kemper, and it's him telling every single thing, little minute details about everything, what he was feeling, what he did, what he, you know, every just everything. And psychoanalyzing himself. Like, yeah. oh, I probably did this because of this. And they definitely learned a lot from him because their brains didn't work like that either. Exactly. So, without further ado, we will hop right into this episode. Episode 25, Ed Kemper. The co-ed killer. And the mom head fucker. <laughs> Edmund Emil Kemper, also known as Guy. Love that name. Love when people's names are just Guy. <laughs> was born in Burbank, California on December 19th, 1948, which makes him a Sagittarius, which... <laughs> I'm nervous because the new baby is probably going to be a Sagittarius. I've met a couple Sagittariuses and maybe dated one or two that are probably sociopaths. So. Anybody listening that's a Sagittarius, please disregard. Yeah. So he was born to his parents, E.E. Uh, e. Kemper Jr., which is Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. So his dad had the same name as him. And his mother, whose name was Clarnell. So I've never heard that name, but her name should be Cuntnell. <laughs> so you will find out. But his dad was an electrician and also was in World War II. So he was a vet. So Ed was uh, 13 pounds at birth. His mom was six feet tall and his dad was six foot eight. So, so you knew he was going to be a big Yeah, dude. needless to say. So he's a middle child and he has an older and a younger sister. And, uh, so he grew up to be six foot nine and almost 300 pounds, 300 pounds ish. Yeah. And bigger once he was arrested because, because he gained a lot of weight yeah. in jail. Yeah. But yeah, he was a, he was a very big, big, gigantic man. Yeah. So at the age of nine, his parents actually separated and they didn't have their divorce finalized until he was almost 13. Crucial age for fucked up shit to happen to you and you to get fucked up from it. Yeah. yeah. When <laughs> when questioned about, um, you know, just their relationship and everything, Ed's dad said that because he was on suicide missions when he was in the war and he actually had a lot to do with the atomic bomb testing. And he was quoted as saying suicide missions and atomic bomb testing was nothing compared to living with Clarnell. <laughs> so... Obviously, this woman was just very... Clarnell was a bitch. Plain yeah. and simple. She was a naggy. Uh, she would put the dad down saying his job is nothing. It's shit. He's not good enough for anything. And she also did the same thing to Ed. Yeah. So that's like horrible because as a mother, you're supposed to be 
I mean, not all mothers are really nurturing, but, you know, to a point you should be. But he was said, she was said to be like a domineering alcoholic. Uh, She treated Ed horribly, too. So once the dad left, like that was his her new target. Basically, she talked down to him, humiliated him. Pretty much the opposite of what you should be as a mom. She was. (laughs) And so Ed, as big as he was and, you know, he was gentle with. Well, he was a pussy, basically. He, yeah. <laughs> he had this irrational fear that other children on the playground were going to hurt him. Which probably, it reminds me of my brother, who is also, my brother is half Nigerian. So it's like, he's a large guy too. He's, my brother's what, Alex is what, six foot five? Yeah, six four, I think. And he's and probably he's been big. six foot five since he was five years old. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, he's always been really big, but he was always like. A gentle giant. Yeah. But you would see him, he played football, and he'd be running the ball, and he'd have, like, six kids hanging off of him, but he'd st- it was, like, no impact. Like, he would still be running. And it reminds me a lot of that, because I remember he even kind of had that, like... Yeah, like, he, the little kids could, in the complex we used to live in, all the little Polish kids used to, like, <laughs> bully him and, you know, push him around. And you'd always and be like, just punch him out! <laughs> or just, like, blow on them, they'll blow yeah. away. <laughs> so that was pretty weird, like... At age 10, he moved to Montana, and Clarnell was always worried that Ed was going to hurt his sisters. I guess she didn't see that he was... Like a, a gentle plus. guy. So she started... I don't think she saw anything. She, I don't think yeah, she, she even liked to talk to him unless it was me. So she started making him sleep in the basement. She would lock him down there. Yeah, and he yeah. started to have nightmares, and, like, as a little boy, you don't... Like, you're 10, you're still little, you're still... Especially, like, all you want is your mom's approval, and especially when she's fucking such a mean bitch, you probably want it even more. And mothers and sons have a weird dynamic. Like, if you look at pretty much every serial killer we've profiled... Gary. Yeah, it's usually something to do with their moms. Yeah, mummy issues. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, there's the whole Oedipus complex, and your mother as a boy is your first role model as a woman yeah for how you it sets the tone for how you have relationships with other women whether that be you know just strictly platonic relationships anything it's it shows you what a woman is in the world and like this guy poor ed at you know on one hand because his mom was a fucking horrible horrible mean bitch yeah she would say things to him like uh you're no one's ever gonna date you because you're so ugly You'll never amount to anything. You're just like your father and you'll only be a failure. So she never showed him any affection. And like, it's so crazy to think because I have a son, as the listeners, regular listeners know. And it's like, I can't even not kiss his kiss him for like five minutes. If I'm around, I'm like, oh, touch my baby. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's your baby. I couldn't imagine being like, you're a fucking ugly piece of shit. And like, <laughs> you're never going to amount to anything. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. So because he said in later interviews, once he was, once he was interviewed later when he was arrested, he said, I think that I just reminded her so much of her failure, like her failed marriage and her everything that she didn't do. And so he said that actually at age eight is when he started thinking about killing his mother, which <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking about shit like that at age eight, but you know, it's, it's crazy. Well, and he also, she used to keep her doll collection in the basement. Yeah, she collected, like, collector dolls. Yeah, like, I think the glass ones, probably the probably. crazy ones. Yeah. And he used to cut their heads off. Yeah, well, that will, we'll come back to that. <laughs> because he actually did that to his sister's dolls, too. And he would, 
ask his sisters, like, I mean, regular kids play, like, you know, kick the can or whatever. Hide and seek. Video games. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But they would play, like, electric chair and gas chamber. And so his sisters would, like, tie him up and pretend, people pretend to be electrocuted. And the games are his idea. Like, yeah. his, that was his mind, where his mind was going, so... Then he moved on to another part of the McDonald triad, and he mm-hmm. started torturing animals. So, um, his lots of mo- cats. Yeah, his they had family cats and neighborhood cats, and his mom would find cats with their heads cut off on stakes, mm-hmm. and he would bury cats alive. Apparently, yeah, and obviously back then they didn't know as much about like the McDonald triad and what the things are to look for. But it's like okay, that's probably worrisome either way like you know like as much as his mom was like super mean she she obviously had a right to be worried because she kept finding uh dismembered cats in his closet yeah and like yeah i don't know so obviously she probably should have had him like evaluated or and not something. just scream look you fucking weirdo look what you <laughs> yeah. did like that's probably what she did so but he said that he actually liked like when everyone would ask him about the cats he would be like no he would lie about it but he would get kind of like a like a rush from lying about it. And then he said also later in interviews that he used these cats as like surrogates for killing his mom. So like he would think about killing his mom while he was killing these cats. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it just goes to show like he said that at an early age, he started having sexual fantasies that weren't your typical prepubescent thoughts. No, you don't say. (laughs) Yeah. His sister said later that he once asked, or once told her, like, oh, I have a crush on this teacher. And she's like, well, why don't you ki- kiss her if you like her? And he replied, well, then I'd have to kill her first. So, like, so he okay. definitely has an askew. Definitely, yeah, oh, fuck. Uh... At age 14, Ed ran away to live with his dad, his new wife, and his stepson. But he didn't get along with those guys either. Uh, you know, blended families. We all oh. we all know a lot about blended families. If we know anything about anything, it's blended families <laughs> around here. Well, and I guess everyone always thought he was a bit of an odd guy, so... Well, he was a little bit of an odd guy, and especially, you know, when someone's, like, before, you know, their awkward stage, when they're, like, 10, 11, 12, you know, kids go through this awkward stage, but that, like, if <laughs> if I was living with someone and you're finding dead cats and... You know, and his poor dad, because his dad probably thought, like, all right, I've escaped the weirdness, or, you know, and then he runs away to come and live with him, and it's like... Well, it was said that he was actually pretty close to his dad when his parents were together. Yeah. Because they were allies against Clarnell. I mean, Clarnell, <laughs> they were trying to protect each other. But you have to think, too, like, at at 14 years old, he was already six foot four. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he was probably... If you didn't get a weird vibe from him, you probably felt like... I mean, he could snap your neck with one fucking swift movement. <laughs> like, really? really? Yeah. I mean, he was, obviously, when he was younger, but I think, again, nurture versus nature, right? Would he have turned into this if his Clarnell wasn't his mother? Yeah, I don't It's know. hard to say. Who knows? So his dad was having a hard time because he was trying to make his new family work, and Ed yeah. was a fucking weirdo. So he sent <laughs> him to live with his paternal grandparents in California in 1963 around Christmas time. Which are his parents. So Edmund, Edmund Emil Kemper Jr., who is Ed's dad, sent him to live with his parents, who the grandpa was actually also named Edmund, 
Edmund Emil also, and the grandma's name was Maud, and she was like an author. She wrote kids' stories. She did articles for, I want to say it was like the Boy Scouts and stuff like that. She did different things like that. So oh, that would be most people's ideal grandparents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, I loved going to my grandparents. Like, loved, loved, loved going to my grandparents' house. Like, I was there spring break, summer break, Christmas break, right? Anytime I could go to Muggas, it was like, Mugga! Like, I wanted to go every time. And like, my grandpa was the greatest. And you just had the best time with your grandparents. But Ed hated living with his grandparents because his grandma reminded him exactly of Clarnell. Apparently, she, she was, was a nag also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, like, how much of a nag she was, but she would do things like take his gun away. Mm -hmm. He had a gun that he used to shoot birds and stuff with. and Yeah, his grandpa, like, gifted him a gun because he really liked his grandpa. So him and his grandpa really got along. But obviously, it's going to be tense if the grandma's, like, constantly like, bah, 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 you know, and he, obviously, Ed's really easily triggered because... Well, Look yeah. at who his mom is. Well, and he loved to go hunting, but he was supposed to just, like, kill rabbits and squirrels and stuff like that. But he, I guess he would shoot at the birds in the yard, and the grandma didn't like that. Well, and gun etiquette, you're not supposed to shoot up into the air because yeah. bullets, what goes up must come down. So she constantly nagged him, and he started to think about killing her. Which, it probably wouldn't be much of a stretch if that's how you're used to thinking about women. Like, no, especially your own mom. killing Clarnell since he was eight. So. Yeah, so that's like nine years in, you know, it's like, or however old he is. How old is he? Six, he's 14 by the, I think, by the time yeah. he lived there. So think about it. That's eight years of you thinking about, almost. Six the, years yeah. of you thinking oh, about murdering your mother. <laughs> but uh, he went home for spring break to Montana and that didn't last long. He got shipped back to his grandparents. I wonder why. <laughs> and he was even more worked up and shooting lots of birds. And his grandma noticed something worse with Ed. She started locking the guns and even carrying one. Yeah, like on her hip all the time, loaded. Imagine you're just carrying a gun on your hip and your grandma because you're so... Could you imagine if when Kears came over, you were like, I gotta fucking be locked and loaded and ready <laughs> in case this motherfucker tries anything? Like, that's crazy. But obviously she had like an intuition. She was concerned with his behavior and very nervous around him. Yeah. So by age 15... So he started... Like, I mean, he's always arguing with his grandma. But and his, his mom. And his mom, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm wondering if his mom could reach him as as easily at that time to, to you know, nag him and all that stuff. So one morning, he was actually in the kitchen. Him and his grandma got in this argument. She was doing some writing sitting at the table. And his grandpa was out getting some groceries. So anyway, she, he was, like, going to go blow off some steam. And he got his gun out. Yeah, of the cabinet, probably, that she locked it away in because she was on alert. And he said, like, you know what, pretty much, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go shoot stuff. And she said, which obviously to somebody, you know, like to your, if I say to Kirsten, well, you better not be doing that. You better not be doing that. You know, he's not going to, he's not going to make a huge deal of it. He's like, yes, mom. You know, it's annoying. Yes, grandma. When you're, when someone's constantly saying something to you. But his grandma made the comment, you better not be shooting any birds out there. And Ed just snapped. He took his gun and he aimed it at the back of her head and he fucking shot her right in the back of the head. Dragged her body into the bedroom and then went back out into the kitchen, grabbed a kitchen knife, and then came back. And just to confirm she was dead, which maybe there's other ways. Check for a pulse. Maybe see if she's breathing. I don't know. 
but he stabbed her multiple times to make sure that she was in fact dead. <laughs> so, and then when he came to the realization of what he had done, he knew that he had to kill his grandpa too because yeah, even though he didn't want to because he loved his grandpa. So his grandpa was in the driveway and Ed just shot him in the back of the head as he was carrying the groceries in because his rationale for that is he didn't want him to see his wife dead and have a heart attack. Oh. So he just put him out of his misery. <laughs> Imagine, how does he even know that would happen? What if he would be so happy? Like, oh, hey, the bitch is dead, you know? But no, obviously Ed, that's the thing. You can see he kind of has compassion in some form because he's like, Oh, okay, wow, I don't want my grandpa, who I love, to see his dead wife. So, you know what, let me just put him out of his misery and just fucking shoot him in the head, too. And then he didn't know what to do because he just killed his grandparents, so he called his mother, Clarnell. And he told her what he did to his grandparents. And... I wonder if he almost called her to be like, you know, like, guess what I just did. You know, no, like, know. to be like, like... I wish I could have listened to that call. Yeah, so his mom told him to call the police, and he did call the police. And when they showed up, he was sitting on the porch, and they took him, like, just gently sitting there. They took him in and questioned him, and he didn't want to live with either of his parents, the police said. And Ed just said, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma. <laughs> he told them he had thought about it for a while, and he killed his Grandpa because he knew it would upset his Grandpa so much. <laughs> okay, well, at least he has nice feelings about what other people are feeling, so, Jesus. So he was sentenced after that, uh, the youth, the California Youth Authority basically sentenced him to go to Atascadero State Hospital right before his 16th birthday. So that is a hospital for the criminally insane. So there's a lot of different types in there, and most of them are violent offenders, and most of them are actually violent sexual offenders. So he, when he got there, obviously, so he got, like I said, he got there right before his 16th birthday. So think about it. He's only, he's, he's only still 16. still being molded. Like he's still like a, you know, there's still parts of him that are a blank canvas. Oh yeah. And so when he was there, he went, underwent a lot of psychiatric testing and he was diagnosed as a sociopath, a psychopath. Uh, they said that he had um, like um, paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. Like he had all these different things. And they also found out that he had an IQ of 145, which is, if you know anything about IQs, <laughs> Yeah, so Mensa members have to be 132 yeah. to be in Mensa, which is a society of geniuses. Yeah. And his is 145. And so that makes me think it's probably dangerous to be too smart. You know, like... I, I mean, when you, when you look at his tapes now, even, or his recordings on YouTube and stuff, like... Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely odd because he's so smart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's hard because think about who you would converse with, right? You probably, there's not a lot of people with even IQs close to 130. Well, and so. I don't even think you think about just regular stuff when you're that smart. No, I don't know. Clearly not. Look at fucking Ed Kemper. Yeah. Jeez. So what he did when he was there was he actually studied the staff. And every day when he'd have his you know, psychiatric testings, he'd look at them and how they reacted to things that he said. So obviously, the loopholes he learned, he knew to tell them what they wanted to hear so that he could seem like he was making progress. And he also, on the flip side, would actually, all the people around him were these violent sexual offenders. So this was really his way of learning about sex because it's not like, I'm sure Clarnell didn't fucking sit down and tell him. The birds and the bees. Exactly. And there so, was no internet. No. So these days, obviously, kids, you can just look stuff up, which, you know, good and bad. We've talked about that before. But 
you know, it's good for you to have healthy talks with your children about sex. But he's in there. Learning about (laughs) sex from all the sexual criminals. Exactly. And so, again, he's at this this age where it's like his hormones are raging. And he basically made note of everything that these people did that got them caught, what they did wrong, and was basically building his, like, tool belt, like, his work ethic. (laughs) So, I mean, he said that in there, because what 16-year-old doesn't masturbate every five minutes, but he was no different, so he masturbated, but when he was masturbating in there, he was thinking about murdering and cutting people's heads off and even cannibalism. So, going back to the dolls, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's probably where where he was going with even with that. 100%. So he was released in 1969. Uh, He spent almost five years in there. Uh, He basically manipulated his way out using what he took from the staff. And he said he told them about what he was really... If he would have told them what he was really thinking, they never would have let him out. No, he would be in there for life. (laughs) Like, you know, so we all have fucked up thoughts sometimes. But never once have I thought about cutting someone's head off and having sex with it. Or eating them. Or even murdering anybody. Okay, maybe road rage. Or like, you know... The odd time, but never anything with substance to be like, oh, you where know what? yeah, where it's an obsessive, <laughs> or thought. like a sexual thought. I mean, like you know, we all have. As soon as that's done, you're like, oh, turn it off, turn it off, <laughs> you know. But like, could you imagine? Like, you fucking think about that, and that's what's getting you through. Like, no. Uh-uh. Well, and the only thing they said when they released him that was really important was, do not send him to live with his mother. Well, guess what the California Youth Authority did five months after they let him out? They sent him to live with fucking Clarnell. The ray of sunshine, Clarnell. His whole trigger. (laughs) So after he was released from Atascadero, his mom actually just moved, probably some years before that, to Santa Cruz, California, where she worked at the University of California, UCSC, as an administrative assistant. So he talks about, there's some, obviously there's a lot of tape of him. Cause like, again, he really liked to talk. So he talks about going on his first date because you have to think he's been in there since he was 16. He's like, what, 21 years old now. So he said he went on a date and he's like, it was a disaster. I took her to Denny's in a John Wayne movie, <laughs> which oh my I God. mean, I love Denny's. Can so. you imagine though? Like you're going on a date with the most awkward human being who is now sexually matured in the psych, psych psychiatric hospital. Well, and she had no idea about that, right? So it's like, he's just, he said, he's like, I was just a really, really awkward dork, like a big dork, basically. But it's like, thank God that he didn't, you know, like he wasn't triggered to do what he's about to do to her because, I mean... No, yeah. I mean, you'll see. He went to community college and got straight A's, obviously, because he is a fucking genius. Yeah, no fuck. Um, and he really, really wanted to be a police officer, but they said he couldn't be one because of his height. And like, who knew that there was restrictions to that? You'd think maybe like, back then, right? Better. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's really weird because, I mean, if you know anything about serial killers, a lot of serial killers want to be police officers. Yeah. Or a lot of serial killers that were caught have been police officers. Yes. So there's that weird link. But also another thing, too, is there's (laughs) cars. If you ever noticed, like I know John Wayne Gacy, he drove a car and pretended to be like a police officer. Yeah. We'll profile him one day. Yeah. But a lot of different... Anytime I see someone driving like a 
Crown Vic. I'm like, that person's probably a fucking serial killer. <laughs> like, so he... I wonder obviously... what Naomi's husband drove. Oh, fuck, probably a Crown oh, Vic. Oh, well, he didn't have a driver's license. Oh, because he was taking the bus at four o'clock in the morning to buy phone minutes. Yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So... Ed actually, because he wanted to be a police officer, he started to work towards getting his juvenile record sealed, which is a perk of murdering your grandparents at the age of 15, I guess. Yeah, so you're a juvenile and yeah. it can be totally erased. Really. Yeah, so in 1970, he started to work towards this happening. So he was meeting with, like, regularly with lots of psychiatrists and they, he, like we talked about, he knew what to say and how to act and knew how to manipulate them with the things that he had learned at a Tascadero. So all of them said that he was reformed and he was normal and he was no longer having violent traits. So by 1972, he was successful in having his youth records sealed. But little did they know, he had actually already began murdering innocent co-eds. Yep. So Ed bought a motorcycle, <laughs> which I would... I just can't even, yeah, like I can't even that. imagine this guy on a motorcycle. No, it's like one of those when clowns ride them at the circus, yeah. you know, like that's like what a I picture. Because he's six foot nine, because now he's a fully matured, grown ass man. Oh my gosh. And he's almost 300 pounds. So anyway, he got in a couple accidents. Go figure. <laughs> and, Why didn't he just put his legs down? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or like kick the other car. So he. With because of the accidents, obviously they weren't his fault. He got a couple settlements and he got a big settlement. And with that, guess what he did? He bought a Ford Galaxy, which is fucking pretty much a Ford S. Like it's pretty much the like a crown big unmarked police car in the time. Yeah, and he started building a kill kit. He put a CB radio in it, and he started like storing stuff in the trunk. Yeah, like blankets, a blanket, yeah. plastic bags, knives. So think about all the time he was at a Tascadero, he just sat in there and thought, like, how can I murder people efficiently? And then yeah, just like, I'm jerked sure off he had to like it. a really efficient <laughs> kill kit. Yeah. So he also would hang out at this bar called the Jury Room, which a lot of police officers would hang out there after their shift. And they sat and they talked with him because he's like this big man that was there every day, sitting there talking. And again, remember, he wanted to be a police officer. So. And you can't get this guy to shut the fuck up. So he's and talking they, about they guns. actually all really liked him. Yeah, he was. It's said by multiple people and multiple sources that he actually, it was a really likable guy. And even one of the FBI agents <laughs> says later that he was in an interview with him years later after he's apprehended, and he had a really sore neck. And then Ed said to him, like, I know a lot about anatomy. I could just fix your neck for you. And he was like, oh, okay. So he adjusted his neck and he's like, and my neck felt better, like right away. <laughs> and like He said, I really liked Ed Kemper. I really loved talking to him. He was like a really interesting character. Like, it's like, okay, obviously let's take away him murdering people and the shit that he would do to them, which we will get into. But yeah, it's like, how often do you hear that? It was a general consensus. Well, it's too. like Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was in the spotlight. He had a girlfriend who had no idea about what, you know, like, yeah. if you are really a sociopath, you can fucking talk people into thinking whatever you want them to think about you. Yeah, you're basically a chameleon. <laughs> yeah, like a fucking sociopathic chameleon. So he got a job eventually with the California Highway Department and moved to Alameda. And he got a roommate. Yeah, like normal guy stuff. <laughs> but... Fucking Clarnell. Fucking Clarnell still called him every day just to 
nag him and put him down. So he was still, he still had that whole situation going on in his life. And that you'll see is the trigger for him every time. Clarnell seems to be the, what is that word? The, yeah, trigger, but like, you know, the thing that makes him explode every time it's her. So this guy, we've talked about daddy issues on episodes before. This guy has mommy issues to the extreme. So because he knew kind of what he wanted to do, he wanted to kill, but he didn't really know who. But then because his mom worked at this university and she she would say things to him like, oh, the girls at the university would never even give you the time of day. They're all beautiful, They're beautiful. and smart and they like handsome guys. And- yeah, not ugly fuckers probably. Like, you know, yeah. like she was horrible. So what he started to do is again, just like with the cats, he started to use co-eds almost as something, and even with the dolls, right? Something he knew his mom loved, he, he wanted destroy to it. destroy it. So for a year... It was actually a little over a year, he started to pick up co-eds that were hitchhiking because as we've already covered <laughs> okay. in many episodes back in the day, everybody used to hitchhike. And in the 70s, Oh. It was like, that was people's mode of transportation. You just hitchhiked. Well, and two, you have to think, there was not the word serial killer. That was not something that was well known. And, and everyone was getting molested by all their family members. Yeah, so, so the generational trauma was already there. Yeah. But Ed was pretty much testing the waters. And he started to pick up hitchhikers. And he started to get comfortable. Because he, again, was the most awkward fucking man on the planet. So he would, he basically practiced for a year how to talk to these co-eds. And then he would do things like add stuff to his kill kit when he'd see like, oh yeah, if this would have happened and that would have happened, then I should add this. Or Yeah, I guess you know. your IQ has to be like fucking really high for you to think that far ahead into things that you haven't even done yet. Yeah, so on May the 7th, 1972, Ed transitioned from the usual pick and drop to murder. Because his mother always said that no one at the college would ever give him the time of day, they he decided that that was that he was going to give them the time of day. Yeah, so he picked up two girls that were hitchhiking, Marianne Pesh and Anita Lucchesi, and he picked them up at Berkeley, and they were headed to Stanford. So he said, "Oh yeah, hop right in. I'm going to Stanford." And obviously, when you're with somebody, yeah, like when I would hitchhike, you would definitely hitchhike in pairs. Unless they'd be like, we are, we can only take one of you. And like, then we would still hop yeah, in. <laughs> I can't even believe that blows my mind. Yeah, I can't even believe that I'm still alive. Yeah, so Ed was obviously a really big man. So what he did, once she, once they hopped into the car and one of them was in the front seat, he reached over. And you have to think, too, this is the 70s, kind of like the hippie era. Like, people are more carefree. They're like, spread love, right? And so... You're fucking obviously not assuming that this huge giant man, which you, they probably were like, ooh, this guy's red flag. But, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be mean and be like. Well, you want to ride. That's exactly. all you want. Yeah. You're hitchhiking. So he reached across her and grazed her breast, but it made it seem like, oh, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, like, yeah. oh. And then he, what he did as he reached across, he said, oh, the door's broken. So I need to just close it for you. But he dropped a chapstick inside the door where the, it would latch so that she wasn't able to open it. Smart fucker. Yeah. 
So he drove them to a remote area. And by this time, I'm sure they were like, where are you going, please? You know, obviously they had to be some sort of panic setting in there, right? So he forced Anita, who was in the backseat, into the trunk. And he tried to use a bag to put over Marianne's head because this is how he thought about it in his head all this time. So it didn't work the way that he anticipated. So he just began to stab her. He stabbed her and in he slit her throat. Yeah. Yeah. Then he went to the trunk and got the other girl out and she saw said, blood. Yeah, right? she saw yeah. blood all over him and he said, Oh, well, I was gonna rape your friend, but she was struggling, so I punched her in the face accidentally and her broke her nose, so you better come and see if she's okay. Which is crazy that he would even take the consideration, knowing what he's about to do to her and what he just did to the other girl, that he would even lie to say, like, Oh no, no, she's fine. I just punched her in the face. <laughs> like when he just slit her throat and stabbed her to death. And he said he felt kind of sick about it right after, but he was still, like, just super into it. Yeah. But this girl argued with him for 20 minutes before <laughs> he actually killed her. Yeah. Said she just kept arguing and arguing and arguing. And if Which you think about it, <laughs> that's Clarnell. Yeah. And you hear that a lot about other serial killers say like their first kill never went the way because this is the thing killers there's different types of killers obviously serial killers are in it for usually a sexual reason it's usually some kind of gratification sexually or whatever but they plan it's this pre-planned plotted thing right and you can't plan the actions of other no! people so if something goes out of the way you imagined it I think your first couple times you're pretty fumbly about yeah. it. Yeah, and even to feel sick about it, it's like, okay, is that because of the adrenaline because you're enjoying it so much? Or is that because you're like, what did I just do? I think a lot of it, like if you listen to him talk, build up. I, I think a lot of it was, A, that it didn't go as easily as he thought it was going to go because he had pictured just putting a plastic bag over her head and strangling her and it being really easy. But because... It wasn't really easy, and there was a lot more blood involved than he thought, and it was, like, more of a struggle. Yeah, I think it was definitely probably like in some ways, yeah, more of a thrill, but in other ways, because it didn't go, it was, like, oh, fuck, like, yeah, oh, fuck, yeah. yeah, like a panic, Yeah, right? and then you get to a point where you're like, I have to, I have to do this because I'm already too deep to mm -hmm. turn around. And you just got out of a psychiatric hospital you yeah. know what would happen. You know, you're probably thinking of all of this stuff, right? But now I think he thinks he's too smart. He's too smart to get caught. He's Same as they all do. Right? Yeah. So so he took both of their bodies back to his apartment. Remember, he lived with a roommate. Yeah, so, fuck. Um, he dismembered them and he kept their heads. So, yeah, he that was his thing. Ed liked heads, which obviously we've been hinting at the whole time. But he decapitated every victim. Every single victim. Except for his grandparents. Yeah. And he would have sex with their heads, with their decapitated heads and different parts of their body. Yeah, he would have sex with them dead and he would also, every single person, have sex with their head. Which again goes back to the dolls in the basement. That obviously symbolizes something destroying and humiliating something that his mother cherishes and loves. Yeah. So after he was done with the rest of their bodies, he buried Marianne and he scattered the remains of Anita. So after he was done with their heads a couple days later, because he liked to keep heads, um, he disposed of them. And on August 15th, the remains of Marianne Pesh were found, but Anita's were never, ever recovered. 
So then we get to, that was August the 15th when her remains were found, and September the 14th, 1972, there was a 15-year-old girl, she was a dancer named Aiko Koo. She was on her way to ballet class, but she missed her bus, so you know what you did in the 70s when you missed your bus, you hitchhike. So she decided to hitchhike, and she was picked up by Ed, and pretty soon into the ride, she started to become uneasy with her intuition, most likely. Yeah, for good reason. So he once again drove her to a remote location. Um, he got out of the car, but this time, as we're talking about the bumbling tactics, he accidentally locked his gun in the car with her and like locked the keys in. So she was locked in the car with his gun and and the keys, the keys. so he couldn't even get in. And somehow he talked her into unlocking the door. See, and that's how you know. Obviously, he was a manipulator, right? He was could kind of windle and swindle his way through anything that he needed to. And even for this girl to be afraid and then be like, oh, okay, well, I'll let you back in your car. Like, there's got to be some... Like, she could have just driven the car away. Yeah. I mean, she was 15, but... But still, it's like you. he obviously had something so he was convincing yeah. that he could think about it psychiatrists are trained for what how fucking long do you go to school to be a psychiatrist 10 years or something i don't know but you know if if, if it worked for them a 15 year old is going to be like okay let me Crazy. sure let me let you back in the car so and a lot like we said a lot of killers talk about how, how unorganized they are at first but for him to he was just like a clumsy dolt yeah so then he got in the car and he put tape on her mouth. Like and instantly. Suffocated her by sticking his fingers in her nose. And think about how big her, his fingers probably were. Oh my God. So she passed out. He thought it was going to be easy to kill her too, but she passed out. And then he just did the same thing until she finally died. And then he raped her after she died and he used her own scarf to strangle her to make sure she was dead Ugh. and then he raped her while she was dead like so necrophilia obviously and we know that even the teacher comment right oh why don't you kiss her well i'd have to kill her first like okay so obviously maybe you just didn't get that memo like no like you could have sex with people that are alive yeah. <laughs> or kiss them or take girls on dates and you can never talk to your mom again i'm really glad that the days we live in toxic just because someone's part of your family it's actually more what is that word normalized normalized yeah to to actually cut off members of your family even though they're yeah, or long-term friendship yeah or so, i mean if things are not making you feel good now it's just like okay well i guess i've outgrown that friendship now whereas before back in the day blood thicker than water so you just kept talking yeah. to clarnell fucking clarnell so he took her home and dismembered her and like we talked about earlier, in 1970, he started trying to get his record sealed and he had to meet a bunch of psychiatrists and was declared sane. So actually, he was actually finally declared sane with Aiko Ku's dismembered head inside of the trunk of his car. Yeah, they, the psychiatrists are quoted as saying that the motorcycle that Ed drives is actually more of a danger to the public than Ed was while he has a 15 year old's decapitated head in his trunk so obviously he was probably just like <laughs> yeah so 
I'm sure that obviously these people, once this came out and all these psychiatrists, they were probably fucking mortified. <laughs> but after he murdered Iko, he was forced, probably by circumstance, maybe his roommate moved out. I don't know because he was fucking cutting up maybe bodies. Maybe blood in the fucking bathroom. Yeah. So he actually had no other choice, which I feel like you probably have a little bit of other options. But he moved back in with Clarnell. So... Oh. On January 8th, which I'm sure there was a million triggers a day for him to fucking get here, but January 8th, 1973. Best and, year ever. Yeah, I thought you were born in 85. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Ed bought a new 22 caliber pistol. So Ed was actually kind of a gun nut. Probably goes back to living on the ranch with his grandparents that he killed. Um, Fucked up thing is that he could even get a Gun a gun, I know. After he killed his grandparents. Well, the states, was... I mean, it's still kind of easy well, in the it states to get too. it, I think. But anyway, on the same day, he also picked up 19-year-old Cindy Shaw, who was hitchhiking. We had tried his new gun. Yeah, well, she was hitchhiking to Cabrillo College, and right away, he took her to a remote location and just shot her in the head with his new gun. Because he didn't have a place of his own anymore, that night he snuck her body into his mom's house. And then the next day after his mom left for work, he had sex with her dead body, which necrophilia is not it's something I just will never understand. Like it, how does it like, would that even, that's like, I can't even think like, would that even feel well, I good? Don't, you know, obviously to them, it doesn't oh, yeah, get off on, but I, we'll never understand it. No, but anyway, then he did what he did and what he liked to do. And he dismembered her, had sex with her head and he even he, took the bullet out of her skull just in case that uh, someone found it wouldn't be linked to him except he buried her fucking skull in his backyard and it's because apparently he said that he actually liked cindy it was someone who he, he wanted to keep well he wanted to keep her close to home but why would you kill her in the first place then you know i just i well, i, I can't he, wrap my head around that's that. the one he buried her head in the backyard face up looking right at clarnell's bedroom window and then when asked about it, he said, well, she always wanted people to look up to her. <laughs> Fuck. So, yeah, um, after he was done with her body, he threw the rest of her body parts off a cliff and they were actually discovered the next day washed up on the beach. So February 5th. So he's actually, if you see, he's picking up steam, yeah, he's right? Up. Because he was taking a couple months in between and letting everything cool off, still picking up hitchhikers. But he wouldn't kill every single one he picked up. So February 5th, 1973, Ed and his mom got in a huge argument, which again, sure, nothing new. And he was like, I'm going to the movies. Like, you know, like. What a he, 70s thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And after the movie that night, I guess the movie wasn't enough for him to kind of cool off. He picked up 23-year-old Rosalind Thor at 830. And then with her in the car, he just a little bit down the street, he picked up Alice Lou. And she didn't hesitate to get in there because like we kind of touched on earlier, there was another woman in the car. So she thought like, okay, I'm safe. It's his partner. It's his whatever, you know, nothing's going to happen to me if this girl's in the car. But then all of a sudden, like as he's driving in the town, he just fucking shot Roslyn right in the head, right as she was looking out the window I'm like, could you imagine being Alice in the back seat? Like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> so then, so anyway, Rosalind died instantly. And then he just turned in the back and just shot Alice several times. But he, he didn't kill her instantly. But they were still on the college grounds. Like, he hadn't even, he was that 
pushed like to do something like that that it was so it was nonchalant no it was like he didn't give a shit and they they he even drove through the security gates like with the security guard with both of these girls in his car one of them dying and one of them dead and like blood all over the window and everything else and he didn't even bother sneaking with this one he parked right in front of his mom's house which she had like lots of neighbors she lived in a neighborhood and he opened up the trunk with both of them in it and just beheaded them there, right there on the street in front of his mom's house. And he talks about this, actually, in one of his interviews about, he said, anyone could have looked down from their top floor window. There was windows all around. And I was just standing there at 11 o'clock at night, cutting two girls' heads off. Yeah. So, again, taking the heads inside, doing what, because he wasn't really, like, I mean, I'm sure more necrophilia is probably, I would assume, having vaginal intercourse or penetrating the- uh i don't think it really matters I think no well not like to a, him it's really a word didn't. for having sex with people's dead heads oh well. i'll try to find out what it is well anyway he just took he the heads that in. yes that's that word is ed because he just took the heads obviously he probably put them under a shirt or hid them in a backpack brought them inside did what he did with them and later he disposed of them in alameda county which was a little bit further away So, as the people of Santa Cruz obviously started to panic because body parts are being found, um, they pretty much put out a PSA, like, to the people who were going missing because these girls were all going missing from the same university. Except Aiboku, obviously, because she was was so little. She was only 15. But the same area. She was picked up in the same area. Obviously, her dance studio was probably in the same area. So, they were just kind of tying it there. And so, they kind of put out a bulletin saying do not take rides from people if they don't have a campus sticker but because ed's mom worked at the campus she was like take this fucking sticker you know like obviously he so he had a sticker on his car so if he picked up a hitchhiker and they spoke about like oh my god you hear about the co-ed killer or whatever he wouldn't kill them, which thank fucking God, these people later are probably like, phew, thank God I brought it up. Like, yeah, we would be just, good because let them go. I would ask him right away. Oh, my God, man. Have you heard about this killer? And so anyway, he wouldn't. But it's like, did, is that because he wanted to continue to hear them talking about it or because he thought it was too suspicious? Because really, who's going to know the conversation that they had? Right. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. it's because he wanted to hear them talk about it and hear that in their voice, the fear and, the, and have that conversation with them. Yeah. So I found the word um, for having sex with decapitated heads is erumatio. So I-R-R-U-M-A-T-I-O. Erumatio. I think they invented that word. It's called edmatio. Yeah. Edmatio. <laughs> like fellatio, but with a decapitated Erum. head. Oof. So oddly... Uh, he picked up two women that reminded him, he said, exactly of the first two women he'd killed. He said you couldn't get more, like, the circumstance was the same. Mm-hmm. They looked so the they same. They looked the same. Like, everything was the same. And he, something triggered in his head. What are these bitches still doing hitchhiking? Uh, Sorry. I had to get that out. <laughs> so, he said that he couldn't kill them. He knew he could not kill them because he had to go to the source. It all clicked. Right he in that moment. He had to go to the source and kill his mother. So, on Good Friday, <laughs> him and Clarnell got in this huge fight, which like this is like every day. fucking day. Yeah. 
So she would, good thing every time they fought, he didn't go out and kill someone or he would probably be like the most mass murderer. I mean, he, he did kill six co-eds, but so at this point, like I said, he's killed six co-eds plus his grandparents. It's like, what the fuck? But him and Clarnell got in this huge fight and she went out for the night. And got drunk. And got dr- got soused, soused, as he, as he said. said. in his interview. And she came home and he went into her bedroom later and she like sarcastically rolled her eyes. She was reading a paperback, he said. And she said, oh, I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. And he obviously was like... No, I don't. No. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> fuck, this lady is so, such a bitch. So he left and left, went went to his own room. And, and waited for his mom to fall asleep. And his mom fell asleep. So in the middle of the night, Ed went into her room with a claw hammer and bludgeoned his mother, Clarnell, the really nice lady, <laughs> to death. He slit her throat and, as you can guess, emush, what is it? Irumatio. Irumatio. Decapitated his mother's head, cut off her hands, had sex with her head, took her larynx, which is your voice box, which I'm not going to say I blame him for this. I mean, if you're going to go there, you may as well fucking go here. And grind, tried to grind it up in the garburator, but it wouldn't work. So the garburator spit her larynx back out and he said, well, I guess that was appropriate. (laughs) So after he had sex with her dismembered head, he then actually sat it on a shelf and And yelled at it and threw darts at it. And threw darts at it. Yeah. Which what else would you do with your mom's head after you just cut it off other than have sex with it and throw darts at it? Couldn't think of anything else. Well, Clarnell's head anyway. So the next day, because I don't know if this was like to shift the focus, like if someone found his mom, but he invited his mom's friend, Sarah Howlett over and told her like, oh, Sarah, come over. I'm having a surprise dinner for for Clarnell. So she came, right? Because it was his mom's friend. So she was like, oh, for sure, Edmund, like I'll be there, you know. So she came over and right away, he still actually had Aiko Ku's scarf because we know serial killers like to keep trophies, right? And who would think anything of a scarf hanging or, you know, and he took that and he strangled his mother's friend, Sarah Howlett, with that scarf. And then after she was deceased, he had sex with her body. Surprise, surprise. So he was actually pretty scared after all this because Mm -hmm. he knew, like, I heard the reason that he killed Sarah was to create kind of an alibi about where his mom was. To yeah, because people are going to look for her. Oh, she went on a trip her. with her best friend. Yeah. But he got it in his head that they were going to be looking for him now. Because he did have paranoid schizophrenia also. So you have to think. He's obviously... Well, it's proven that he didn't actually have it. His lawyers just used that as a defense when he was... Well, he talks it. about earlier when he killed his grandparents thinking someone just saw me do that even though he was yeah, away so on a ranch. Yeah, he did have paranoia. He for did, sure. for sure, yeah. And so after killing Clarnell and Sarah, he rented a car, stocked it with guns. I think he had like 11 guns and ammo and drove for 18 hours. <laughs> In Pueblo, Cal- Colorado, when he got there, he realized that no one was chasing him because no one knew what he did. So... He found a payphone. And he called the Santa Cruz Police Department and confessed everything where they could find his mother and Sarah's bodies, that he was the co-ed killer and everything he had done. But they thought he was bullshitting and just told him to call back later. The operator hung up on him. So <laughs> he kept calling back over and over. 
And finally, he had to ask for one of the cops that he knew from the jury room, from the bar, mm -hmm. so he could confess to someone that knew him and would finally take him seriously. And imagine all those cops in the jury room were probably like, oh, what fuck? the fuck? <laughs> Plus, you have to think, they're in there, and, okay, I've known a cop or two, and they're not quiet. Like, okay, maybe they're supposed to be, and it's, like, probably against the law to divulge some of that information, but they don't seem to really care. So imagine if there's a bunch of cops after the bar, I mean, at the bar after work, and they're like, oh, yeah, the co-ed killer, and da-da-da-da-da, we yeah. think this guy and this guy. And Ed's sitting right there, like, you know, keep talking, keep talking. And, like, they obviously don't suspect that someone that they're fucking having beers with every day after work. Like, this is crazy. So they sent the police to Colorado to arrest him and it was said that he was so tall that he was just put when they told him to put his hands down or behind his back or whatever that he just put his hands on top of the phone booth and it was resting like <laughs> right kind of by where top. his chin is yeah so he was arrested on April 24th 1973 and he said that after he killed his mother he didn't feel a purpose to murder anyone anymore and that he needed to turn himself in which Basically, the root of the problem was gone. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he should have started with that. I don't. No kidding. I don't know. That probably would have saved his grandparents, all these coeds, his mom's friend. You know, but who knows? So, after he was arrested, Ed worked with the authorities for about a month and explained like each crime, went into detail. Everything was recorded. He was talking to them about the disposal sites. And again, all these cops were like, wow, he was just such a joy to talk to. Like, okay, obviously take away the fact that he's talking about having sex with dead bodies and killing these people for no reason and all this stuff. I guess he was just a really enjoyable guy to talk to. So he pled not guilty due to reason of insanity. Uh, his lawyer said he was just a normal guy, except for when he was murdering. Which, okay, like, yeah, well, that's probably key to being a normal guy is not murdering. Yeah, so, so his trial lasted for five weeks. And the prosecution played all of his tapes that he had just recorded with the police. So his defense team was obviously trying to convince the jury that Ed was insane, which I don't know, like, I he obviously is insane. You know, obviously he's, but that's the thing. Is he insane or is he just too fucking smart for his own good? So it only took them five hours to deliberate, but he was found guilty of eight counts of first-degree murder and charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. So the judge sentenced him to life, and even though the judge didn't really have any pull, he suggested that Ed never even be considered for parole. So Ed was sent to the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, where Charles Manson was, Herbert Mullen. We haven't talked about them, but again, if you guys are listening, you know... Those are two big names in the serial killer game. So he was with a lot of people that were criminally insane or just found to be criminals, right? So it was a hospital setting, but it was a lot of fucking really, really bad guys in there. So he tried to commit suicide a couple times uh, during the trial. And once when he was in Vacaville and he was eligible for parole in 1980. But he's been denied ever since. So he's still there. Yeah, and he, he's actually been quoted as saying, I don't see a place for me in society ever again, and the state of California has more than enough reason to keep me locked away for life. But in jail, he's actually seen as a model inmate. He's received awards for all the, all the work he's done with the blind, and 
He schedules people's appointments with their psychiatrists, and he tapes audiobooks in jail, and... He gives really good advice, too. He's been heard telling <laughs> sex offenders, well, the only way to get away with it is to kill the person after you rape them. Yeah, which awesome. That's great. So, still to this day, he is at Bacaville, and Ed is 73 years old as of right now. So, in the late 80s is when the FBI started using him... Yeah, well, him and and John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, him and John Wayne Gacy at this point, because he had already been talking to the FBI, um, like we kind of touched on the beginning of the episode to start the profiling. But this is when him, he basically agreed like, you know what? Yeah, I'll divulge everything I did and everything I know and everything I was thinking and everything that was going through my head. And so did John Wayne Gacy. So I'm sorry, I would pay a lot of money to watch that because both of them, like John Wayne Gacy is the clown killer, which we will cover. He was really fucked up. He killed, I want to say 33 young boys and buried them all in his yard. No, under under his his own house. And he he dressed up as a clown for kids parties. And yeah, yeah. we have to definitely cover him for sure. Yes, we definitely will. So yeah. That was Ed Kemper. So, yeah. So this episode was a little longer, but there was a lot to get through. And it was episode 25. So really, we hope you were excited that it was Happy a little bit longer. Happy fucking birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. And it's the first day of fall today. And that means we're like a week away from... But it's actually the second day of fall because it's Thursday. Oh, oops. Yeah. Just gave ourselves a week. But... We are coming up close on our one-year anniversary. So maybe we'll have to do another special episode for you guys next time i don't know we'll think about it yeah we'll think about it just also- kidding we're not even doing an episode for another <laughs> month <laughs> just kidding this is our last one ever <laughs> <laughs> no but we love bringing you guys these episodes obviously doing the research we learn a lot about these guys <laughs> and girls and women and all that you know everyone that we profile I've um, really been enjoying uh, the feedback, too. Like, I really, really like it. Um, we've had a lot of people, like, new listeners, like Tatum hit us up. Hey, she's Tidal. watching on her, or listening on her way home in traffic. And Chantelle, who listens while she gets her eyelashes done. Who and... just happens to be Tatum's mother. Yeah. Which I don't know oh what the God. connection is there. It's like murder with my mother oh all over my again. God. And Chantelle's the only one that got back. Uh, on the vote for Nana's toes from last time. <laughs> Actually, I heard said, a couple oh, you things did? about that too. Oh. People said you should go for it. Well, for Chantel said I should not do it. Oh. She said I'm sorry for not being supportive, but I think it's a bad idea. But hey, if we're going to take a poll and you got some people that think hey, it's a Hey, I think idea. we're over. Yeah, we're like three to one. So. All right, Chantel. Well, better go get that pedicure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been a slice. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a. It's been a decapitation. It's been a, what's the word? A Erumatio. <laughs> well, anyway, if anyone out there is thinking of having sex with a sliced off head, please, don't do it. Please refrain. Yeah, don't do it. At least until you get some help. Well, then even refrain after that too. <laughs> don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. You will be caught. And, and we'll profile you on our murder with my mother where we'll make fun of you. Where I talk shame murder you. with oh, my daughter. Are you taking my line? 
Anyway, I guess I'm getting kicked out of the ball and ass studio. So, so Danica's still actually able to be in our. We have a very tiny recording studio, and pretty soon, I don't know what you're talking. Danica's about. not allowed to. Uh, well, Danica's not gonna fit through the fucking Danica's door. Danica's not gonna be able to fit in the little tiny studio. So, we have some troubleshooting to do, and she looks super cute with her little tiny basketball belly, and yeah, I broke two toilet seats. So. No, just kidding. I didn't actually break the first one, but yeah. Anyway. I'm a little leaner than I was the last time around, so. But yeah, we will bring you guys episode 26 in two weeks. So until next time, this is Murder With My Mother, where I talk murder with my mother. Bye, guys. See you later. Alligator. <laughs>